stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Hey, I'm Danny Stewart and you're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. A few weeks ago, I visited Dorigo Rainforest on Gumbangir country. My grandparents lived near Dorigo and growing up, we'd stop at the waterfalls on the way to visit family further inland. So I was pretty excited to spend the day there and tap into those childhood memories. When we first got there, it was hot and sticky, but as we trekked further into the rainforest, the air became cool and crisp. It was beautiful. Trees that are hundreds of years old, colorful fungi, bird calls, and the freshest air I have ever breathed. And there was an old man who had picked up a stick to use as a hiking pole, just like my pop used to. After about an hour, or maybe it was an hour and a half, we finally reached the waterfall, and it was pretty epic. It's a new year and All The Best is back with new episodes. This week, stories from our summer. Coming up, we'll be heading to Turkey, a festival and a nudist holiday park. But first, Phoebe spends some time with her grandma. So I thought I'll make a chocolate cake and I've I've got some, I think I've got some coconut cream in in a can. So that classic chocolate cake that you often make, the walnut one, is that one of Serena's recipes? The walnut tort? Yes. Well, it's one of my mother's, but um, I have got it here, my own. The walnut tort would have to be one of my strangest yet most fixed associations of Sydney in the summer. That's because I'm a summer baby. I was born in January, and as my grandmother will often say, the walnut tort is for birthdays. This summer, I thought I'd sit down with my grandmother and ask her to explain how this particular cake became a staple for birthdays. She brought out a set of red and blue leather, very battered cookbooks. The red one belonged to a woman named Serena, who was my great-grandmother. The blue one to Ruth, my grandmother. And so she sat down and began to flick through, and as she went, explained how this walnut tort recipe 
came to be in the family. In 1945, I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. And the war was over, liberation. So most things start then, because before that I was, A, I was young, Mm -hmm. and B, in all the years that I was very young, we had a live-in maid Mm -hmm. who took care of everything. And even during the worst of the persecution, although the maid didn't live in any, because we weren't allowed to employ a maid, and Jews were not allowed to employ anyone, but she came came almost every day because she said, I have no other place. This this Mm. is my home. So, and it was risky. My mother and father used to say, Hanya, please, you know, if you come, come early in the morning or whatever so no one can see you because someone could report Mm. us. Uh, It was difficult to to tell her to stay away because this is where she had her food, uh, where she got money, where she got... Mm. She was one of nine children. Wow. She couldn't stand it at home. Mm-hmm. She learned everything from grandmother and mother too. Okay. Because she came from a poor family. She had no idea how to cook or what to, even the ingredients were. I mean, you know, in her home, I can't imagine that they had an abundance of eggs, for example, even though they were plentiful everywhere because we lived in a, what was the agricultural basket of the country. Mm. So there was always plenty of food. No one went hungry. Mm. Uh, but she didn't know how to make a chocolate cake. I mean, cocoa, that, that was imported. Mm. Uh, but she learned fast, a bright woman. But when would your mother start to... After, the, after liberation, my mother had to sort of establish the home. We rebuilt the house, the kitchen... When we were ready to come to us, well, sorry, we were preparing to leave our home or our homeland for probably Canada, not Australia, because that's where we were preparing to go. My father, whose brain was always working over time, said, well, look, you don't have a profession that's, that can be transported like that to another country, and neither do I. But maybe you could learn something fairly quickly. We had three shops fronting the main street. This was one big building with three stores. One store was my father's big double-fronted store, and the other two were rented. Mm-hmm. And next door was another three store owned by my Aunt Rella. Uh-huh. When the Russians liberated us, people usually renovate their livelihoods first. So these fronting stores were all quickly renovated and life went almost back to normal fairly quickly. One of the people who came to Can I Rent a Shop for You, from you, was a, a pastry cook who actually trained in Vienna. And the reason he was stuck in a little town was that he married a local girl who, I don't know what, she had some disease, some some 
illness that required a lot of help and till she had parents. Mm -hmm. So he settled um, in such of which he normally wouldn't have. He said, you know, he was trained and qualified to, to work in a city. Mm. And he said, I want to open a conditorai. So can I have one of, you know, there were six shops. My father said, well, you know, these are all finished. They're gone, but I'll talk to my sister-in-law, see if she's got one big store. Maybe you'll have that. So he, my father, it was my father's, um, with my father's help that he managed to rent. He was a young man and his name was Novi. So Novi had a, Novi means new. Mm -hmm. Straight away, he was very successful. Behind the shop, way behind, at the back of the building, was an unused storeroom. And he converted it to a workshop. He needed, you know, equipment and baking and so on. So when my father decided that we would leave the country, he said, Novi, listen, would you teach my wife a, a few of the, actually, you, Novi was quite offended because my father said something like, well, some of the tricks of your trade. And he said, what do you mean tricks? I spent five years in Vienna learning. There are no tricks. It's hard work. So anyway, my mother fronted up at 4.30 a.m. because that's when they started work. The senior uh, apprentice would open up the workshop and mm. they'd start. Half four in the morning. By 8.30 the shop Everything was, was the mm -hmm. cakes everywhere. So she learned to make this. This is where she learned to make the buchta, the 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 pastry that she filled with nuts and mm -hmm. made every Friday. Because this became almost like so easy to do. So that was what she learned at Novi. Those the kind of one or two or three principles. Of course, there are some things that uh, I remember my mother saying that she did, but you can never emulate at home. All their surfaces were called marble. The funniest thing is that she never used it to make money in Australia. Mm. So when did she come, you know, because dad and Robert would describe her cooking as kind of such a prominent feature of how they remember Well, her. because... When my father passed away, uh, my mother decided to come and live with us. Mm -hmm. And we built the house in Caulfield. And Vera and my mother had a, one big bedroom. And I, not immediately, but soon, soon, Louis man, managed to talk me into helping him in the shop. And as I started to leave the home, Your mother my mother in. took over the kitchen completely. Uh -huh. So she did her own thing. And did her own thing, she did. Serena drew on the lessons she learnt in Novi's Conditorai and spoiled my father and uncle, running her own tiny patisserie at home. Her cakes were legendary. As if by magic, the pantry would refill overnight with an array of opulent Eastern European delicacies. Freshly made kugluf, strudel, Rishkosh, chocolate puddings, and on birthdays, walnut tort.
I love the idea that in the summer, when I sit down with my family and have a cake for my birthday, this woman, Serena, is still very present with us. Neither my dad or uncle learnt to make Serena's recipes, and these cookbooks, bound in red and blue leather, are written in Hungarian. So I think I might take this chance to see if my grandmother, Ruth, will show me how the walnut tort is made. I don't like it when it's very, um, very fine. Mm. Somehow it gives it a different... Maybe they... That was Phoebe's audio postcard from her grandma's kitchen. You're listening to All the Best on FBI 94.5. I'm Danny Stewart. All the Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. This week, stories of the summer holidays. Up next, Mel finds the perfect road trip accommodation, but there's a catch. During the holidays, my partner and I went on a road trip to Adelaide. We'd just got ourselves some new mountain bikes and we were excited to check out all the South Australian trails. Consequently, we hadn't really planned the camping part that well. That camping trip will have to. Do we want to get tongs or anything? If you like, yeah. This one sunny afternoon, we were cruising down the Princess Highway past the beautiful Koorong National Park. I was driving and Duncan was searching for caravan parks, looking for a deal, the best facilities for the lowest price. There was one park right on the beach with a heated pool, a spa and a sauna, a fully equipped kitchen and a games room. But there was a catch. It was a nudist caravan park. Now, I grew up with hippies and I've traveled in the south of Spain where it's hard to avoid naked Germans. I know vaguely what nudism is about. Duncan, on the other hand, didn't really know what to expect. I mean, some of the photos I'd looked up online had a weird kind of creepy sort of 80s sex look about them, for lack of a better term. But I saw the potential for a good story, and so I talked him into it. She said that she would take us for a tour in a golf buggy. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Nude. I'm just going to assume that everything from this point... The destination is on your right. One one four nine people claim. Oh yeah, arrived. Although I'll admit, as we drove down the remote dirt road, got lost several times, and eventually arrived at the boom gate, I was feeling a little nervous. At the gate, we met Mandy. Hi. Good. Mandy is the daughter of Pat and Keith, 
who opened Sunland Holiday Village in 1974. If you glance at yeah. the map there, you'll see where we are. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful, bushy, 100-hectare block about 600 metres from the beach. If we have it that way, that's the way to the beach. As promised, Mandy took us for a tour in the golf buggy. Down um, what we call Woodland Walk. Mm -hmm. uh, because there are some nice sites down here and you might choose one of these. This on the left, we've got the Oasis and then the Hilton there, two of our higher accommodations. Right here. Hey, so, we have a community garden. Back behind you there we call Veggie Land and a chook house called the Chook Nook. And we've got vegetables there. And if you'd like to grab anything for your dinner, feel free. Oh. There's um, some uh, spinach and bits and pieces. Shower and washing machine area. Oh wow. You'll see of course that it's communal and open uh, because we all see each other nude when it's warm anyway, so yep. there's not really much point in hiding in the shower. We did once talk about putting in partitions and um, people said, oh no, don't do that. We have the best conversations when we're in the showers. And uh, I'll pull over here to show you the clubhouse, which is the hub of all activities, pretty much, besides the beach, of course. As we entered the clubhouse, we met a regular guest, sitting comfortably, naked in a sun chair, reading a book. How are you going, Andrew? Good, good, how are you? <laughs> this is Mel and Duncan. Hi, guys. Hello. How are you? Can we stop just next to you here and Hello. have a look at the, the uh, sign? He seemed completely unfazed as we stood over him to look at the map above his head. Here we've got a library for our guests, um, the sauna, which is uh, lined with western red cedar, and that's the spa, which should be warm. Oh, lovely. Oh, it's just, yeah, it's lovely. People get the wrong idea about nudism. Um, some think it's some sort of subversive thing, but that is definitely not part of what uh, Sunland is about. Far from being a sex cult, Sunland turned out to be a picturesque community of retirees who enjoyed bird watching and lawn games. We have um, a really large number of birds and animals living on the property, mm. and many of our guests are also keen bird watchers as well as naturists. Uh, yeah, table tennis, we've got Patonk, nudists preoccupy themselves sometimes by playing uh, Finska, Patonk, uh, table tennis. I was definitely getting on board with the idea of being naked, but I still had my reporter's hat on and I wanted to hear what nudism was really about deep down. You were saying that some people don't like to know that or don't like their friends to know that they're staying and stuff, is it? Yeah, definitely. There are many who come here who don't want their parents or their children in many cases. There are often people in their 50s and 60s and 70s, yeah. uh, grey nomads. Yeah. Depends also what their occupation is, if they have a, a sensitive sort of occupation. Yeah, I must admit, as I've got older, I've become more open with my friends and acquaintances even about what we do and where we live. How have they received that mostly well? Or? Oh, something we're kooky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of my friends have been here. Um, some have tried out being nudists um, at their own places as well as ours. Yeah. And the, the beauty of being able to get up in the morning on a warm day and not have to cover up in layers 
and not have to be hot when there's no reason to be. You know, we, we generally only put clothes on when it's um, safer for work. We're yeah. not stupid. <laughs> we need us, we're not stupid. That's a line that I have used quite a number of times <laughs> and heard others say the same. I like that. Mandy was also able to clear up some of the questions that we'd had on the way in. Some imagine that they have to leave their clothes at the gate, that they can't walk in the property without stripping, which is entirely not true. Um, I'll always come to the gate clothed because I never know who might be waiting there. We've had Jehovah's Witnesses, we've had the police, you know, all different people. And Mandy said something else that surprised me, because it had sort of been the opposite with us. And quite often one partner, and it's usually men, are more, is more comfortable than the, uh, the female. I mentioned this to Duncan afterwards. That makes sense to me. I thought, well, I thought it would be the other way around. I'm sorry, all dudes want to get their clothes on. Most of them. Really? But Mandy's explanation was actually really beautiful. Um, it's often a body issue thing. That's true. And we hope that coming here and meeting others of all shapes and sizes and colours and people will feel comfortable and overcome that, you know, and realise yeah. that we're all different. There are some that come here that have um, uh, colostomy bags, mm-hmm. uh, injuries, scars... And so on. And I think in some cases that women are, they may have had a caesarean birth or something like that, and they're concerned that their scars are ugly and and so on, which Mm. is a shame. Um, And I think this is a liberating place for people who are of that mindset to perhaps let go of their uh, concerns. Mm. Do you think that's mostly what it's about nudism like learning to accept your body and accept others exactly that's that's for me for my family particularly um that's all it's about um it's a great um leveler because Mm. once you remove clothes you remove a lot of status yeah uh, and people will find themselves talking with others who are from a very different background from themselves and many of them become friends and they perhaps wouldn't have even crossed paths or be, you know, come to talk with one another, except here they are, both nudists here. They've got one thing in common at least, and uh, friendships begin from that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of the annual site holders here say that they met their best friends here, and some of them have been friends for 40 years or, or nearly as long as that. Some people have been coming here since Mum and Dad opened the business back in the, um, in the 70s, so... Um, yeah. Amazing. It's a special place. Mm. Yeah, it feels really special. It feels very um, safe and welcoming. That's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> so go and enjoy. And we did. We cooked burgers in the nude. Drank fancy wine in the nude. Do you want to open the fancy wine or do you want to wait? Oh, there's even wine glasses. Wow. Had a spa, of course, in the nude. If I'm a nudist, I want one of those like. (laughs) (laughs) I want one of those um. Bum bags. No, no, the. Because it's very naked, 
and even, perhaps a little dangerously, played darts in the nude. You're gonna thrash me. Oh no. Yes, you are. You're really good at it. Like, you like everything. You know how it works, though. The closer you get to the middle, the better. Next morning, we went for a nude swim at the beach and then headed off back to our clothed lives. But it definitely left me with some questions. What's the difference between a nudist and someone that just likes being naked in their own property? Because by that definition, I'm a nudist. That was Mel talking about her stay at a nudist holiday park. This week, we're sharing stories from the summer holidays. And up next, we have some audio postcards captured by our listeners. First up, Evram takes us to Turkey. That was Evram's audio postcard from Turkey. To close out our summer of stories, we have an audio postcard from Caroline, captured at the most quintessential summer experience, a festival. The band you're hearing is In Echo, and we've left a link to their band camp in the show notes. would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Broonwurrung lands and 8RCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. And Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Timothy Nguyen. Lydia Yosefova is our community coordinator. And Madura Prakash is our trainee. Shining Bird composed our theme music. 
and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.